Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Now, just because it's tailor-made clothing does not mean it is out of your price range. You walk into Leon Tailoring, you'll see a great wide selection of clothes that are actually quite reasonable and quite affordable and very comparable to what you pay at the big box stores. It's just the fact that it's just better clothes that last longer. So don't let the tailoring part fool you. Swing on by Leon Tailoring and see what I'm talking about. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware and downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware and downtown Indianapolis. Well, we are continuing our discussion about the economy, and join us now is our good friend, Dr. Matt Will, Professor of Finance at the University of Indianapolis. So, Matthew, my friend, thank you for joining us. Always good to talk to you, sir. I appreciate you having me. Uh, so help us out here. From your perspective, uh, is our economy good, is it bad, or is it a mixed picture? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a mixed picture right now. Um, the Chicago PMI index came out, which is kind of a, a number that shows growth in the manufacturing industry, and that number was higher than expected. That's good news. Uh, we've seen corporate profits. Uh, the the uh, Cincinnati, I'm sorry, the uh, St. Louis Federal Reserve always publishes corporate profits. They're at record levels. Um, last quarter, this quarter, they've come down dramatically. They're about uh, 10% of what they were last quarter. So while we saw this incredibly increase in profits, we've now seen this dramatic pullback. Um, we saw GDP forecasts from the Federal Reserve Board, you know, the, the big dog in, in the whole economics industry, um, they reduced their forecast for this year from 4% to 2.8%. So we've seen this robust comeback that was occurring last year from the, you know, the, the self-imposed lockdown. We've seen us recover from that, but now the recovery keeps missing expectations. We keep coming in under what we were anticipating. And there's a number of reasons for that, mostly policy-related. But the picture on growth, eh, good, but getting not good. And uh, employment, still a big problem. And we could talk about that. There's a whole bunch of ass, uh, facets to um, the employment problem. Well, let's, let's, let's spend some time talking about uh, the employment issue, because obviously uh, the unemployment rate, which is something a lot of folks pay attention to, uh, is at record lows. We're seeing like unemployment we haven't seen since like you know, 1976 when I was five years old and some change. Uh, but at the same time, though, it seems like uh, the, the gains in wages are being needed up by inflation. Well, you know what? It, let me let me go back to your first point, though. Um Unemployment rate is low, but you got to remember there's a numerator and a denominator. So uh, the fact is that in 2019, February, before the pandemic, we had 152 million people employed. This February, we had 150. So we are 2 million people below before we started the, the pandemic. And that's not including normal increases. So we are dramatically behind the number of people that would be employed. But the reason the unemployment rate is so low is because people have left the workforce. Uh, the quits report, which uh, came out yesterday, um, showed the biggest increase, the, I'm sorry, the second biggest increase in number of people quitting their jobs. And the participation rate, that's the number of the percentage of the population that's in the workforce that wants to work. That number is still has only recovered half of the drop, half of the drop that we've had since the pre-pandemic. That is a, in fact, we haven't seen numbers this low in the participation rate since 1977. So people aren't working. And the reason they're not working is because they're getting paid not to work. Now, not at the federal level, but now the states have taken over uh, that supplemental benefits for people not to work. And that's what I was going to ask you is, uh, is it people not going to work or is it people looking for better jobs or is it people who decided maybe decide to go out uh, and just become entrepreneurs and maybe start their own gig? Well, you know, it's, that's a good point uh, because the people starting their own gig is a very, very small portion of it because we have 6 million, 
six million fewer people in the workforce today than pre-pandemic. I don't think there's six million people out there starting new businesses. So I do think we have some of that happening. I do think we have some of the gig economy, but it's a pretty small portion. You know, I think the biggest thing is, uh, and by the way, it's not an all or nothing answer. There's a lot of parts to it, but I'll give you an example. In California, as soon as the federal government eliminated the enhanced benefits, California put in place enhanced benefits. They had 309,000 people apply for rent assistance the day it was offered. 300,000 people. I mean, so guess where we have the biggest labor shortage right now? California. They don't have enough people, Abdul, at the ports unloading the ships. And why? Because the government of California is paying you not to work. They will pay your rent. They will give you food subsidies and supplemental income if you don't work. So guess what? When I pay you not to work, you don't work. So I guess my question is, my friend, is uh, I, is I guess sort of the question, particularly in the California case, would be, would be why? Because if you have a you have a labor shortage, and you got people who need who need, who need the jobs, it seems to me this is, it seems to me this is pretty simple mathematics to fix. Well, it is, but you know, I mean, I, I know this sounds pejorative, but you're talking about California, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is I mean, true. I, uh, go ahead. I was I was out there in November. Okay, I was in I was at the Long Beach port in November. I took photographs of the port. This was one month after President Biden said the port of Long Beach will work twenty four seven. I was there on a weekend. I was looking at the port. There was nobody working. I talked to my driver. He says, "Yeah, the union says the president can say anything he wants. They're going to work four days a week, and they work four days a week. Full the, the, that port is fully operational four days a week." 12 or 10 hours a day. They're not working at, they have minuscule skeleton crews the rest of the day. So, I mean, the president can say what he wants, but the reality on the ground is not the same. Our guest on the program today is Professor Matt Will, uh, the University of Indianapolis, uh, professor of finance. We're talking about uh, the economy, just getting some various perspectives on the program today. Uh, Matt, uh, let's talk about, uh, speaking of uh, ports and supply chain, uh, has that supply, has our supply chain recovered yet, or is it still, uh, uh, experiencing the effects of the pandemic? Well, it's recovered a little bit because you have to remember that the Christmas holidays are the worst. And so we had a pretty, we had a, it, on January 1st, we had 101 ships waiting off the Long Beach port. Today, well, not today, but a week ago, we had 42. So that's cut in half. And people are saying, oh, that's wonderful. Not really, because normally you have one the average ship waiting to get to, to, to unload its goods in Long Beach is one. And right now we have 42. Um, that's over two weeks of a delay. Now, let me tell you what that means. It takes two weeks for a ship to go from Shanghai to Long Beach. They're just going back. We have ships that are going back to Shanghai because their owners have said, if it's going to take more than two weeks, we're doing something else. Because we're going to have a ship out of commission for two weeks. And so their stuff still not coming in because of this labor shortage in California. And by the way, it's not just labor. There's other things such as, such as their environmental regulations, which we could talk about briefly, that are also reducing the ability to remove product from ships. And Matt, go, go to uh, touch the uh, environmental issue if you could. Yeah, California, um, this year, well, next year in 2023, they got some massive regulations coming in place. It's, the forecast is that it's going to eliminate 90% of the trucks that are going in and out of the harbor. But they've already implemented some of those, and there are some uh, truck uh, um, third-party logistics companies that have said they've lost about half their fleet because of the 
uh, miles per gallon and the emission regulations, not just at the port, because you'll hear people online saying, oh, fake news. It's not true. These things don't go into place until 2023. But it is true because these environmental regulations concerning emissions on trucks are already in place for warehouses. You can't take something off a ship unless you can put it in a warehouse. And so the backlog is also at the warehouses. It's going to be to the point where you're going to have to have, I think the estimate is about one of every six or one of every four trucks you have must be electric. We're not even close to that. I mean, it's almost impossible to find an electric truck, period. So can you imagine trying to track one down so that you have the proper percentage so you can operate your warehouse? And so that's what's going on in Los Angeles. It's not just the port. It's not just the labor. It's also the the storage facilities outside the port. Madwell, professor of finance at the University of Annapolis, our guest on the program today. We're talking about the economy, just getting some different perspectives on how things are looking in our country. Uh, Matt, uh, let's talk about inflation, um, because I really want to get your thoughts on what is what is causing our inflation. Because I remember we, because a lot of folks say we had you know have guy had, had we have high gas prices. Uh, other folks say, well, we had we had low gas prices a couple of years ago because everybody was basically staying at home, and this is just basically the, the economy maybe catching up with itself. So what's going on here, old friend? You know, it's pretty simple, and it's, it's interesting because you and I talked about this, I think, last spring or summer, and, um, you know, everyone was saying it was transitory, and I, you know, I'm glad you have a recording of this because you can go back and play it, and I said, it's not transitory. Milton Friedman won a Nobel Prize for this. Inflation's simple to explain, Abdul. It's more cash, but not more stuff. And so the federal government has been spending deficit spending like crazy. Everybody knows this. Trump did it. Um, Obama did it, and Biden's doing even more of it. So it's a bipartisan spendaholic that's going on in Washington. And then the Federal Reserve Board is pumping cash into the economy. The problem is the economy isn't expanding like it should. It's The stuff isn't keeping up with the cash. Abdul, if you have more cash and not more stuff, you're just going to spend your cash on what you have. It's simple math. And so the government keeps expanding the cash in the economy, you know, money supply, M1, M2, M3. I won't bore people with the nerdiness <laughs> of it, but they're expanding the cash. But the stuff isn't there to buy. And so we have inflation. The government needs to contract the cash. They can't blame it on COVID. They can't blame it on the war. I mean, the president tried to blame it on the war. Well, the inflation figure for February was 9.6% annualized. The war didn't start till March. So how can he blame the war on a number that, you know, it's like, you know, well, my, my sidewalk cracked because of the snow. Yeah, but it cracked last spring. So he can't really blame it on the snow from this month. Um, but it's, it's interesting you bring it up because uh, uh, particularly the, the whole thing about the war, because I want to say we only get like 8 percent of our of our oil from the from the Russians. So if 8 percent disappears to me, that's that doesn't seem like enough to cause four dollar gasoline. Well, okay, that's a good point. And, and let, me, let me explain numbers. It's kind of like the inflation. Let me, let me do a, a brief uh, fix on the numbers. There is, you know, you're the, you're the political expert, so I'll let you analyze this. It used to be that we would take a monthly number and multiply by 12. And I looked at the monthly number, and it was 9.6. I said, why is everyone saying 7.9? And then I went back. The White House changed what they say to the public. They now go back and do 12 months rolling. So they just take the last 12 months and add them up and they get 7.9. Yet if you take the monthly and multiply by 12, it's 9.6. This, this, this annoys me. I've never seen in history that, that they've done it that way. So they're spinning it. The same thing with the oil. We, 2% of our oil is consumed from Russia. 8% of our imports, but only 2% of what we do on a daily basis comes from Russia. And almost all of that is in California and the Northeast. 
And there's, there's pipeline reasons why that's the case. 2%. We can increase our production domestically, and Canada has already increased their production, so that that 2% is now wiped away. I looked at futures prices today. Future prices, which were $130 a barrel um, when the war started, the, the May futures price is 108 So it's gone from 130 to 108 and it's continually dropping. The forecast is going to drop all the way through next year. Matt, well, with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Matt, I want to get your thoughts. I'm going to circle back to uh, our employment situation uh, and, the, and the worker shortage that's out there. Uh, how much of that, uh, even though usually, and you say, but usually we have a worker shortage, it means wages have to, have to go up to, to attract good people. But at the same time, are those wage increases being eaten up by inflation? Oh, yes. And in fact, we've had record increases in wages and we've had, but they're still not uh, um, keeping pace with inflation. Um, They're still below that. You know, it's interesting. I mentioned the quits report earlier. Uh, The number one category for people quitting jobs is retail. Because think about it, retail is at the low end of the pay scale. And if there's a labor shortage, the low end of the pay scale is going to be able to find um, much better paying jobs on a percentage basis. So we've seen a lot of uh, shortages in retail. If you go to a restaurant, you go to a department store, I'm sure everybody sees long lines. You can't get your bill in time. There's serious problems, and, and those people are benefiting from higher wages. So good for them. But in the, the middle to the upper level um, income brackets, those wages are not catching up with inflation, and that's probably going to continue to be the case. Uh, so how do we fix this problem, or, or is it fixable, I guess is, is my question, particularly the, the wages and employment issues? Well, okay, you know, there's fix which one. I mean, (laughs) um, the the inflation is the easiest one to fix, but it's also the most painful. Uh, The federal government needs to stop spending money, and the Federal Reserve Board needs to stop expanding the money supply. Uh, The problem is that is likely to cause a recession. Um, And people don't like to hear that, but at this point, a recession is probably inevitable. The question is, how rough will it be? Um, the, the yield curve, again, a nerdy topic. People can go Google it. But the yield curve is inverted, which in all of history has been has preceded a recession. Um, I'm one of those people that says, go into it, get out of it, get it over with. Uh, let's not make the pain linger. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the federal government's answer, you may have seen this the other day, is a senator in the White House has said maybe they're just going to give people more money to cover the inflation. Well, Abdul, <laughs> giving people, printing money and giving it to people causes more inflation. It, it doesn't make the problem go away. It makes the problem worse. Matt Will with his professor of finance at the University of Indianapolis. I'll talk about the economy on the program today. Uh, Matt, I uh, want to talk about uh, recessions because uh, – Looking at sort of our past history, it seems that recessions always kind of happen around the beginning. They start at the end of the last decade, at the beginning of the first decade, the, the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, 2000s. There's always something that's kind of happened uh, to sort of cause these recessions to take place. And I always kind of looked at recessions kind of like a forest fire. Every once in a while, you just need to sort of, you know, you need a fire to kind of cleanse the land. And sometimes you have to let a natural burn uh, kind of take its course. Uh, are recessions technically a good thing from that perspective? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think recessions are good or necessary. Um, and, I, I, and I think it's strictly coincidental as far as timing. Um, I think recessions are a byproduct, mostly, mostly of bad policy. There are things that are outside your control. I mean, the pandemic is, you know, we could say it was in China's control, but in, in all honesty, it's, you know, no one expected this to happen. But there were self-imposed problems. I mean, we did self-imposed lockdowns. We did self-imposed shutting down an economy. So, Kind of what we do with bad policy causes recessions. I don't think they're, they're required. I mean, 
you know, Australia had 20 plus years with no recession. So it's possible. Um, and, you know, the probability Goldman Sachs came out with a report last week. They predict a 35 percent chance we're going to have a recession. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying there is or isn't, but I, I agree with their their forecast. There's about a 35 percent chance, maybe a little more. Uh, so what should policymakers at the at the local and state level be doing to sort of mitigate some of these issues? Because obviously not, it doesn't look like anything's going to happen at the federal level anytime soon. Well, you know what? That's a great question. And I don't think uh, they have the political wherewithal to do it. Um, what Mitch Daniels did, if you recall back in the, you know, the Great Recession that the, wor- the world had, Indiana went through it very, very smoothly because he went against the tide and he contracted the size of government. He cut government. He got taxes. He reduced the size of the bureaucracy. And as a result, we in Indiana did not feel the impact like, you know, your family and friends did in Illinois. They got hit really hard by that recession and we kind of didn't even notice it. Um, I think the state needs to go back to that model. They need to reduce taxes. They need to reduce spending. I think the the recent session where there was significant expansion of government programs was a mistake, and we're going to feel it if there's a recession. Uh, We need to have a cushion going into the next recession. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been our good friend, Dr. Matt Will, professor of finance at the University of Indianapolis, uh, providing his perspective on the economy. So, Matthew, my friend, as always, thank you very much for chatting with us, and we will chat again real soon. Take care. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.